It's the ABC's High School Teachers Really Need to Know, episode number three, Coach in the Classroom. Remember to like, comment, and subscribe, or buy the books on Amazon.com. I hope you're doing fantastic on this beautiful day. At least it's beautiful as I look out my window into yet a, uh, another beautiful day here in Mississippi. It's uh, I know I started off, I think, last week talking about the weather, but it really has been a just, just an amazing stretch of weather to start off our summer down here. And um, I know that many of you are out of school, and for some of you, you may not be, but you will be soon. And it's that time to reflect on another amazing school year and honestly just begin the process of rejuvenating our creativity and our batteries and reconnecting with the people that are important to us and the folks that we share our lives in and and, and then most importantly just just inwardly take care of ourselves and that's just the summer is just so important to doing that and so here in this episode I'm going to talk about coaching in the classroom and I want to start with a with a brief story, and it's it's about a student that I had many many years ago at the beginning of my teaching career. The now it's not unusual, first of all, for us as teachers, we encounter so many different kinds of students. But one that we encounter, we wish we didn't encounter quite as often, and that's those students that really underperform, those students that could do better and just just don't for whatever reason. And, and sadly, there's a lot of those students that we, we try to reach. And, and I'll be honest with you, first of all, I believe that success is, is addictive. You, you know, you taste success, you get hungry for it, uh, and you want more and more and more of it. And success is like that. And, and, and the reason I say that is because the student that I'm referencing, he, he was just another underperformer. And it was so frustrating to me because I knew the student was smart, he was intelligent, he could communicate well. And if he just gave more effort, he he would would have been very, very successful. And it just really irritated me because I just couldn't understand why this child wasn't doing better. And what I noticed as I got to know him and observed him more is that he, he really was underperforming in his social life, meaning he wasn't connecting with those around him. And as I really got to know him, he shared with me that he was struggling at home with some other issues. And, you know, I... I've shared this with you before, but when I started, I was just an awful teacher, and you know I had to get better. And some days are better than than others, but I, I was awful. And and a big part of that is, you know, I showed up and I delivered information, gave a test, and 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 went home. And what I realized, and thanks to situations like with this student here, is that, you know, this student really could have benefited from more than just a teacher, someone just delivering information and skills. This this individual needed a coach. And and that kind of unlocked a very important aha moment for me as a teacher. And that was this, that if I wanted to be an effective teacher, I had to invest more in my kids, not only as individuals, you know, trying to individualize the standardized process, but also to uh, really dig in and invest in my process to making sure that I, I, I was serving my kids, the whole kid. And, and, and until I did that as a coach, I, I wasn't going to be successful. And, and it quickly became evident to me as I started working with this kid and listening and responding. He would come by and get extra help. He would come by and, and connect with me on things related 
uh, outside the classroom and all all and I, and I quickly realized that he just needed a coach and what I began to see not only because of my work you know it wasn't like I had the golden key that unlocked all his potential but from pouring into him and then him surrounding himself with other people that would pour into him, we began to see a change in this kid. And he, he rose from a BC student to a student that um, was really effective and involved. And he later became a surgeon and doing quite well. Uh, I'm still really close to this student. And, and so it's just a success story. And, and the reason it's important to me that I told this story, because I know it was kind of a generic story uh, where, you know, it just, it sounds like it's just something that, you know, you could replicate in a lot of classrooms. But the reason it's uniquely personal to me is because this was the kind of aha moment that led me to the understanding that, you know, I couldn't just be there. I couldn't just show up and, and, and teach science or math. I had to show up and actually invest in my kids. I had to coach them. And, and, and so I, I needed to share that with you because that began to change things for me. Um, also, I, I got to tell you this. I coaching in the classroom this is this particular point this particular concept has 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 been an interesting one in my teaching journey because you know i'm not the first to introduce to you the concept of coaching in the classroom i like you have probably sat through countless professional developments with some athletic coach uh, telling me, you know, giving me inspired how-to manuals on how to coach in the classroom, and that never really resonated with resonated with me because I was like, it's so different coaching in the classroom versus coaching on the athletic field. In fact, I was talking to one of my good friends who happens to be a baseball coach, and I, and I got to tell you this as well, but I've actually coached longer than I've been teaching, so you know, I just want you to know my background coming at this point. Uh, and, and I know many of you coach as well. So now I teach and coach um, athletically. But what I, what I felt was important to tell you was that I have coached for decades uh, and even, even longer than I've been teaching. But anyway, so I'm, I'm talking to my friend who coaches baseball and I was telling him how I, I really think coaching in the classroom is so different than and then coaching in the classroom and then coach excuse me coaching on the athletic fields uh, and and he he made this really really interesting remark to me he goes well that's because baseball's fun and algebra's not and i said to him well i think you just made my point and my point was is that athletic coaches have the benefit the luxury of having mostly willing participants and that's not something that uh, we get in the classroom. So I think that's an important distinction. And so when athletic coaches drive this point that you should, quote unquote, coach in the classroom, uh, it, it really didn't resonate with me. And, and I really had this negative feeling or connotation about this this concept. And, and so if you're experiencing the same thing, that's not abnormal. That's completely normal for a classroom teacher to feel that way. And, and so why am I saying that? Well, to make this distinction, when I'm talking about coaching in the classroom, I am not saying that you should teach in the classroom like how a coach talks in the locker room or develops a quarterback or whatever, you know, you may be thinking. That's not what I'm saying. In fact, I'm making a strong point to you about the fact that athletic coaches do not own the concept of coaching. Whether you coach in athletics, 
coach in the classroom, coach acupuncture, coach Lamaze or life or anything in between. Coaching is about individualized instruction, training, providing feedback, and ultimately developing your players, your students, or your participants, or whatever you've got. That's the distinction that that I'm saying is an absolute essential. It's an absolute must in the classroom. You have to coach your students. It's just essential to everything you need to be able to accomplish. And, And look, you know as teachers, we work relentlessly every single day to make our students better. Better at learning, better at uh, being prepared for the future, better at just being good human beings and citizens in our global community. That's what we as teachers strive for. Well, we do that through quality coaching. And so I just want to make that distinction for you. And as I began to think about stories like I told you at the start of this episode and then really reevaluate my relationship with this concept, I began to understand what I really needed to to be able to do was coach. And that means develop my students in the classroom and be able to coach them through academic adversity, be able to coach them through the ups and downs of the learning process, offer feedback, individualize the standardized process for them. And, And that's what coaching is about. And that's what must be done for you to be an effective teacher. So how do you do that? Well, obviously, we're all individually different, and that's a strength. But what you need to realize is that if you're going to be successful, coaching is going to be required. And that means focusing on the individual. That means training, offering feedback, and then ultimately developing your kids. Your kids have to be the emphasis for you. It has to be. Not your efficiency, not your process, but instead your kids. That has to be your focus. Focus, And then everything kind of branches from that foundation, your process, your activities, the way that you interact, everything has to be about the kids. And so in order to be an effective coach, there's a couple of things that we've got to talk about. So first of all, it's got to be about relationships. It it just has to be. And I know that's at this point, it's kind of a duh, but relationships, it all centers back to that. You have to be able to to build an effective relationship. And anything that you do relationship-wise, as far as interacting with your kids or in your process, has to be about building the relationship. It has to be constructive. It cannot be deconstructive. And so strategy number one is you have to eliminate all these behaviors that destroy your relationship. And any relationship, when you're in the learning process, there's going to be times of strain. There's going to be times of, um, you know, just just academic adversity. Those things are going to happen. But remember, if the relationship is there, you will grow. And that's why an investment in the relationship has to be present consistently throughout your time with your kids. It can't just happen once a year or once a week. There has to be an ongoing investment in your kids. And I know I talked last week about how important it was to understand that students will work harder for you if they feel like you're invested in them. And I know I'm saying investing a lot, but but it goes back to that word. Students will work for you. 
and be more apt to want to succeed themselves if they feel like you are in the process with them. You have to build relationships. Therefore, everything that you do has to work towards building that relationship and improving on it. You know, so a, a good way to, and this may seem like a side note, but one of the things that I think is really important to, to building a successful relationship besides obviously actively investing in your kids individually, I think it's also really important to set up a classroom environment that is safe to make mistakes. It's, it's, it's a place that they don't mind coming into that they know that they can learn in. You know, if you're in the business of delivering soul-crushing uh, structure, and by now you probably have realized I, I can't stand that kind of stuff. I mean, every classroom needs structure and procedures, but if your classroom is more focused on efficiency than the people in it, you, you, you've got issues that you've got to work through. I mean, why does a kid really need permission to go to the pencil sharpener? Why does a kid have to sit pencil straight for you know hours and hours and hours without interacting to the obvious people that they know to the left, right, front, and back of them? I mean, think about this. How often have you gone to a professional development for hours and not talked to anybody because you knew you weren't supposed to? Not to mention, these are children. So we have to remember that if we can dial back the structure, that helps the relationship. It helps the environment. As part of that, you should never, 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 never scream at your kids. There's just not a lot of constructive relationship building that comes out of that. Try to avoid power struggling. I'm not saying that there won't be times where you'll give impassioned coaching spills and speeches. I'm not saying that doesn't happen. I do that all the time. But the bottom line is yelling at a child or yelling at a group of children rarely accomplishes much in the way of building relationships. And if you believe that relationships are key to coaching, then you have to build relationships. So kind of keep that in mind. Relax some of this structure. Please don't power struggle with your kids. The second thing that's absolutely crucial for you to be successful as a coach in the classroom is you need to be a facilitator. And and, and what I mean by that is you have to facilitate the learning. The You've all heard this in in. in education books and publications and, and, and buzzwords and education. Be the facilitator. Don't be the sage on the stage. But look, if you don't buy into the idea that you're a facilitator and nothing more, you're not the leader of the learning. You're just the facilitator of the process. And you have to remember that. You cannot be at the center. The kids must be at the center of the learning. And, and that's for one very specific reason. So kids can navigate the inevitable road of, of of education on their own with you as a guide, but they have to be able to make the mistakes that will lead to learning because that's how you learn. You know, I'm always weary of, of you know, education processes that, you know, always result in this streamlined product or all the grades are always fantastic. To me, that's just not really authentic education because education's messy. People are going to be in different places, learning at different rates. And so you've got to facilitate that process to making sure that they can do that. And that has that starts with every unit to the very curriculum that you design, to the way that you deliver it. They have to be at the center because otherwise they are not going to reach their maximum potential. You're not going to be able to develop those players in that coaching mentality to the level in which they could. And so you've got to focus on problem solving and and open-ended learning and developing academic grit because that is what ultimately 
uh, will give empower them to be successful. So please focus on doing those things. Focus on motivating and in developing intrinsic motivation, that is, along with curiosity and their creativity, no matter what topic. Your job as a facilitator is simply to scaffold the topic and then get out of the way and let them move forward. If you do that, you're going to be much more successful. And look, inevitably, like I said a minute ago, you're going to run into pitfalls. And 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 you're gonna there's gonna be mistakes being made by you and by them. But look, our job as teachers is to coach them through academic adversity, not shield them from it. You know, you don't want to do the work for them, and you don't want to be an obstacle to their learning. Simply scaffold, move on. Do not shield them from the inevitable inevitable pitfalls that are going to to they're going to be exposed to. Nothing is is accomplished by that. So keep that in mind. So again, number one, build strong relationships ongoing. Number two, understand that for kids to really be able to be coached by you, you need to be a facilitator that is empowering students to learn. And that has to be done throughout your process. And if you do that, great things will happen. The last thing that I think I really want to talk about is assessment. And, and, and I'll be honest with you, down the road I'm going to do a whole episode on assessment. But that's more of a how-to on assessment. This is how assessment impacts the coaching uh, philosophy. Obviously, you're going to have to provide feedback. You can't develop players, you can't develop students without providing feedback. And so how you do that is absolutely crucial. Again, it has to be constructive. It can't be deconstructive. And I really make it a major goal for me to not make the grading process traumatic for the kids involved because it's so easy to slip into this mode of I'm going to be judge, jury, and executioner with the red pen. And and you've got to really defuse that kind of thinking. Uh, otherwise, kids are, are going to be you know, affected by the grading process, even your compliant kids, you know, they're going to be focused on grades instead of the learning. And that's not something you particularly want. So your job is to really de-traumatize them. I don't even know if that's a word. You want to make sure that they're not traumatized by your process. Why well, do you do that? Well, have you thought about making, have you thought about making you're grading more of an emphasis on what they've done correctly as opposed to what they've not done correctly. Again, it's so easy to just take a red pen and mark things wrong or let a computer do it. But the bottom line is, if instead you focus on reinforcing positively positive behaviors and then being positive about the things that they've done well. So, for example, you know, instead of taking some summative test and, and just marking what's wrong, how about going through and circling a multiple choice question that they got right and say, hey, great job getting this right. This was a tough question. Or on a discussion question, instead of you know just simply marking something wrong, say, hey, this was great line of thought. Good job here keep doing this, and on things they don't get right, say, hey, this isn't quite right, but you were on the right track with this and blah, 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 blah. You know, you can always be positive. And not just on the, the test, the summative tests and projects that you have at the end, but throughout the process. Because again, assessment needs to be ongoing. And and, and if you do those things, um, you will see students that are more apt to want to succeed, but two, they feel more accomplished, more successful. And remember what I said, success is contagious. So keep that in mind. And and look, you can say, well, that's sugary and that doesn't reflect real classrooms, but you know as well as I do that a good job from your boss 
or somebody in your life that you respect goes a long way with you. So remember, give positive reinforcement. It will do so much good for you and your kids. Um, so, so change your own philosophy. And does it take time? Sure it does. But again, if you're in it for the right reasons, then you have to invest in the things that will pay huge dividends and ultimately will save you time down the road by, you know, obviously making your students more successful and then ultimately putting them in a position to be more successful themselves and with, with less help from you. So again, invest in the right ways. Also on assessments, I, I want to talk to you a little bit about pre-grading. And, and this is something that I get evil looks on. What? Pre-grade? That's just, what do you mean? Well, I do give feedback, not only, you know, on, at the end, but along the way. I give constant feedback. So on a lab report, for example, or on some assessment question that I give in the middle of the, of the unit, I will inevitably say, hey, this is, this is, this is on the right track, or have you considered doing this? And, you know, when I'm teaching math or any of that, if I, I'm not scared to grade their homework along the way because I want them to be on the right track. Isn't that what it's all about? Why let them go down this dark path for days and days and days and days and days when you could rectify the problem right away and it's fresh on their mind and you teach them? And I know you're sitting there thinking, well, doesn't that lead to great inflation? And doesn't that kind of contradict your idea of, well, uh, shouldn't we let them kind of figure it out and uh, not be not do it for them? Well, no, because there's a happy medium. you got to understand that your ability to give them feedback along the way allows them to learn the skills, knowledge, and concepts as you go, allows you to properly scaffold them towards your ultimate goals for a unit or whatever we're talking about. So don't be scared to give them feedback. And with technology, by the way, things like Google Docs and all of these collaborative you know, pieces of software applications that are available to us, you can give feedback in real time for these kids to allow them to get thoughts. You know, I'll tell you, I used to, up until about 10 years ago, I would do lab reports and would never, never give them feedback along the way. But then as I started giving feedback on on um, on their lab reports uh, you know thanks to things like google docs i saw that there was a greater understanding of the experiment or experiments that we were doing which meant they understood the underlying concepts and the same is true in in in, in an english class or in you know doing this math skill in this section of math you know if you give them feedback along the way then they're more app to solve other problems or deal with other concepts and maybe even take it further because if they're instead of spinning their you know wheels for three or four days they can understand quicker and that allows them to then go forward to higher concepts so again don't be scared to pre-grade um <clears throat> but the last and i'm going to get a little bit soapboxy about this but if you're one of those teachers that waits a whole geological era before you return an assessment, let me ask you this. Do you expect your kids to get better? Well, I'm assuming you answered yes to that. Well, if you do expect them to get better, how are they supposed to get better if you never return and give them feedback? How are they supposed to get better? I mean, seriously. I mean, 
if it, let's say you're mad at your dog for peeing on the carpet, well, if you get on to your dog a week and a half after he did it, how's he supposed to connect what went wrong and what went right? It's not possible. Now, your kids are not dogs, but the, the concept holds true. How are you supposed to expect change, improvement, if you don't give them the ability to do that and make that change with the feedback that you're supposed to be providing? You are the expert. And I, this is why it has to be a priority for you to return assessments. Yes, you need to grade ongoing, but you need to return assessments with feedback in a timely fashion. It, it's, it's essential. I'll, I'll tell you, for me, I, practically, I set a 48-hour rule. I return all assessments within two days. And <clears throat> again, if I want that to stay fresh on their mind, and I want them to learn from their mistakes. I've, I've, I've got to get that stuff back to them. And so 48 hours is kind of my contract with them. And if I want them to take my test seriously or my project seriously, shouldn't I take grading seriously for them? Shouldn't I make that a priority in my life? You know, you expect them to be in your classroom taking that test when you want it done. Why can they not expect the same from you? you got to practice what you preach. You have to. 48 hours is my contract. Now, if there are times when things happen and I have to go beyond that, I email them to let them know that that's a priority. So it should be a priority for you. So, again, if it goes beyond that, then I'll let them know. Now, this is also where I get ugly looks from like English teachers who are like, well, no, wait, I have papers and projects that take weeks to grade. Well, so be it. But remember, the longer that you have an assignment, the less they're learning. And that's kind of what you need to have in your mind is the longer I have something, the longer it's taking them to get the feedback that they need to improve. So in a lot of ways, you're in the you're blocking the progress that you're wanting from them, and so that's something that good coaches just need to not be in the business of. So you got to make it a priority. If you want them to make it a priority, you got to make it a priority. So, so again, today's episode all about coaching. In order to coach, you've got to focus on relationships. You got to be able to navigate them through the inevitable mistakes and academic adversity. You got to be able to facilitate the process of learning. Don't be at the center of it. Put them in the center by empowering them. Make sure you understand that you've got to be able to train and provide feedback to your kids. And that feedback has to come in a timely manner, in a fair manner that focuses on the positive, the constructive. Everything has to build the relationship. You've got to be there for them. If you coach, there's no limit to what you can achieve. So, all right. Well, that's it for today. Thank you so much for joining me on this episode. Stay tuned next week for episode number four, Do No Harm. Remember to like, comment, and subscribe or buy the books on Amazon.com. Until next time, I will see you down the road.